The Process, a podcast about creativity and making music. In a world where maybe no one is listening, outcomes and accolades for contemporary classical composers can seem far and few between. Therefore, composers must embrace the one thing they will always have complete control over, the process. This podcast aims to understand this creative process by listening to new works and discussing them with their creators. Each episode focuses on one composer and their music. By understanding how and why they create can inform inspiring composers and help audiences better understand contemporary classical music. I am Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and I'll be your host as we explore the world of new music, creativity, and the human need to find purpose in their world and lives. This is The Process. On this episode of The Process, we talk with Jordan Munson about the creative cogitations. The creative cogitations are a list of questions, ideas, and deep thoughts that all creative people have to answer, come to terms with, or just figure out in general. Jordan shares these ideas and thoughts about the creative cogitations along with some of his music. When looking at the uh, creative cogitations, one of the things I always want to ask is first of all, you know, what is your response? But then also, what what resonated with you about a particular question or, or cogitation? When I looked at all these questions, the, the ones that stuck out, like the ones I wanted to answer, are were either ones that were really central to my philosophy on, you know, production and creativity, or I was also looking at them as uh, as an educator and, and questions that come up over and over again or, or insecurities that come up over and over again from students. You know, just speaking with you initially, uh, 1.7, does it bother you that no one cares? You kind of laughed at that. You thought that was kind of funny, maybe my dark sense of humor. Right. But w- immediately when you read that, what resonated with you or what, what was your first impression of that? My initial answer there was sometimes, yeah, it does, it does bother me that no one cares because you, you spend, I mean, it's it's like having a, a child in a way, you know, you're creating something, you're very proud of it, you spend a lot of time on it, and um, you want people to know about it. And then it can bother you that you feel like you keep making things that are falling on deaf ears. But I also think I'm really afforded the opportunity to not care that no one cares, but we can create music that's personal and that is there to be just an outlet for our creative ideas. And it doesn't necessarily have to find an audience for us to be, you know, successful and, and and live and eat. Well, that makes me think about four point six. Do you believe a day job is helpful or hurtful for a creator? There's a hierarchy of needs. You know, at the bottom of that pyramid is always like, <laughs> do you are are you fed? <laughs> do you sleep? <laughs> do you have a house? You know, sure. Are you meeting those needs? And it's really hard to go up to the top and be creative if if you're just on a, you know. A thin stick instead of you know having a nice foundation of well, what uh, about this concept of the starving artist or the struggle? You know that goes to I think it was in, in that catching the big fish, the David Lynch book. There's this idea, and he and a lot of people, I think more people know now that he's this you know long uh, standing practitioner of transcendental meditation, mm. and the idea that you know being mentally healthy and all that can get you at these deeper ideas. 
And, you know, people always talk about that idea of the starving artist, like Van Gogh always comes up. Sure. But what you, what he mentions in that book, I believe, and in, in, in what I think other people have said before is, like, well, what, a, what about if Van Gogh was mentally stable? You know, what about if, if he was, you know, successful in his time and mentally stable? I mean, he would probably be um, just, a good, just as good a, of an artist or a creator but he would have more output, maybe, or you know, he might be able to. He might have been able to reach new new ideas, you know, if he could if he could work in a, a more healthy way. There's a great book I like too, Daily Rituals, and it's all about combing the collection of of biographies and accounts of different creative types, just finding what their daily rituals were at different times in their life. It's really great for a lot of reasons. It makes you feel better about your own daily life. If it's if it's chaotic, you have examples of people that have produced really great things in within the chaos of having a family and trying to keep a job and all that but also there's there's a lot of examples there of people that had really kind of they've tre- they've treated their creativity really 9 to 5 and very healthy and were able to kind of turn it on and off and have a family life and for instance someone like Charles Dickens um, he was really prolific right in mm-hmm. in his writing and he really stuck to a schedule and he had a family life and he was very healthy person and so there's an example of someone that yeah. created so much work and uh, and had a healthy family life so or David Lynch or right? David Lynch yeah, yeah. so those are idea you know yeah. that idea of the starving artist is is I think kind of a myth the the big thing you know do you believe a day job is helpful or hurtful sure. is not you know do you, you need to be you know the starving artist it's I think it's more if you don't have a day job you might be more driven to do some of the infrastructure necessary to get your work out there um, but and also, I guess, have more time to create that work in a sense. But I don't really even think that's possible too, because you're always going to need to find a time to make money to eat and live. And um, but one one could argue. I mean, I I see people that maybe are in a similar age as me that don't have this this institution job that are getting out there a lot more and per, and performing and like doing tours, big long tours, month long tours, which. I'll never be able to to do, uh, and they're driven to do those kind of things because they need to. If you're looking at it that way, I guess having a day job, quote unquote, would could be hurtful. But I, I really do find it to be a benefit to have that day job so that I can create work regardless of um, if it's making me money or not. So in that sense, where are the borders of your creativity? Anything to do with how, how a piece of work is going to be licensed or is it going to go on a label or how are you going to put that piece of work out there? I try to keep that away from my creative domain. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a whole separate thing. I don't really think about any of that stuff while I'm creating the work. Mm-hmm. Maybe at, right at the end, you know, I start to really think about how maybe I can get this to the most people. But otherwise, I, there's not like a medium or uh, you know a, any kind of limit. There are some things that, I, of course, I'd I'd like to do that I haven't done or l- like to tackle in my you know 
in my creative creativity, but I haven't done that yet. Do you ever have a moment where you say to yourself, and this leads into 1.5 and 1.6, do you ever say to yourself, this is a good idea, but if I did it in this medium, it would be better? Or do you ever say, if I had this tool, this different piece of hardware, this other thing, that then I could properly realize this idea? Where those questions come up are at different places a lot of times in the creative process. Mm -hmm. So the medium is the thing that drives the the work from the very beginning for me. Constantly collecting these ideas, you know, taking field recordings or mm-hmm. scouring for ephemeral videos or mm-hmm. or taking some film when I'm out and about and then just kind of exploring a little piece of that. So when you have an idea, it's a video idea, it's a audio idea or, or you know, or a performance idea. Is it is it always linked to uh, to, to the medium or, or perhaps the f- performance format? My outlet a lot of times is to realize an idea in live performance. It might be linked to the event. So the medium might be, the, the type of medium I'm using to explore that creative idea might be linked to the presentation of it. Sure. Uh, so if I know I have a space with certain capabilities, I might start writing a more fl- flushed out like, multimedia work, whereas if it's a different outlet, for instance, if a pop producer, electronic music side project, I know that's going to be more of a SoundCloud type thing, then it's just always going to be sonic. So what about a scenario where you're writing a piece and you decide that there needs to be a video component? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, one of the projects that uh, Michael was telling me about uh, was a video project that uh, you and he did. And uh, you wanted to create a video that perhaps was less sort of experimental or abstract in nature, but had more of a narrative sort of flow to it. Right. So when you were doing that, you're, you were doing something that was more traditional cinema. Yeah. So did you find yourself the tools? You know, did you did you find yourself saying, well, we need to use the tools of traditional cinema to 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 be able to realize it in this media? For sure, having knowledge to use those tools properly and have those tools in your in your toolbox are really important. It keeps you from being limited in what your creative output can be. And uh, and I already knew um, how to use things like Final Cut and Premiere. Sure. And so yeah, this that was a more traditional narrative mm-hmm. um, film with needed to be high definition and cuts and things. And so we used Premiere Pro for that. But another thing we mentioned is that we w- didn't want it to be just a traditional narrative film. We wanted to, at, at different points, interject some kind of surrealism. So we utilized live processing in Jitter and, and Max to, to process some of these things in more custom ways because we had the knowledge to do that. In teaching technology, music technology all the time, is, well, why do we have to learn all these different you know, tools? It just gives you more, more tools to... to realize that creative idea and it makes you more well-rounded as a creator, right? To be able to uh, utilize different tools for different purposes. And not even one project to the next, but even within one project, utilizing three or four different tools if they suit the specific needs of that that work. So this is directly... To the uh, to the composition, the music technology student, the you know the, the the umbrella that we're under. This is this is directly for them. What I'm doing, my creative output, would be better, improved, more exciting, more interesting 
if I was using this tool. Yeah, that's a slippery slope. I sometimes think I was doing more exciting things when I just used like a cheap mixer and a bunch of janky analog pedals on a contact mic and a drum set or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. that's a thought that comes out of insecurity in your own creativity. Sure. Like, well, one day when I have all those tools, then I can make make that happen. I mean, there was just a story recently about tracks on this new Kendrick Lamar album. Mm-hmm. Um, the person that produced the beat, just the, I mean, it was the beat for that. It wasn't sure. the whole composition, but they did the whole thing on a uh, on an iPhone, and actually, this producer only works with a iOS, you know, like um, rig and an iPhone and and guitar and whatever else. And so, you know, if that was if for some students, if that's the goal is to, you know, sell your beats to Kendrick Lamar, but I can only do that if I have ten thousand dollars worth of gear. That's just um, insecurity talking, I think. You can always choose when uh, creative inspiration is going to come to you. Um, so to limit yourself and say, like, well, I can uh, tackle that idea when I have all these tools uh, in front of me, then you might miss out on some really great idea. Having a little cheap field recorder, if you, mm-hmm. you're a musician, um, your phone, you don't even need that. You have a phone that can take voice memos. Mm-hmm. You know, David Lynch used to go to uh, for Big Boy and, mm-hmm. and he used the free paper that is the napkins. You're talking about napkins yeah. to write out his ideas. And, well, that's uh, where his dog concept came up, right? The dog right, comment. That, that ran dog. for like a decade almost. Right. This running comic that he had, yeah. It's two things. You need to be comfortable enough in your own creativity that the tool doesn't matter, especially as anyone using technology, whether it's other media, like film or interactive installation art or music. You need to be versatile and a lot of different tools, and you should keep learning new tools, but also comfortable enough in your creativity that if one day those tools go away, which they will, mm-hmm. that you can you can modulate your practices and still produce produce things that you're excited about. And a lot of times it's good to interject limits on yourself um, so that you're only allowed to use certain tools. I mean, I, I like to just have uh, a field recorder and like a, a pocket synthesizer, or even just a field recorder and a melodica, or something like that, and get some get some ideas. And the electronic track of "Where Light Escapes," you, mm-hmm. which is a piece I talked about in the the last section, um, that's just uh, overdriven melodica taken on a field recorder at my family's farm in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. and uh, it was just a it was just a live improvisation of uh, you know droning melodica harmonies and just layered on top of each other and overdriven and filtered and and that's the basis for that whole composition so you you really 
And when you hear that piece, it's such a rich, high-fidelity landscape of this bright, shimmering thing, but part of its parts were a field recording. Right. We can always say that if we have better tools, but, okay, if we go back to the history of recorded music, students that both you and I have today, a lot of students that are in production or, you know, electronic studio music, their laptop with no plugins or no, you know, microphones or hardware could produce technically more impressive things, higher fidelity than, you know, I don't know, uh, Sergeant Pepper. I don't know, something like Oh, <laughs> shots fired. <laughs> no, no, but, but... If there's a comment section on the blog, <laughs> we, might, uh, we might get some angry comments. But there, there's not a limit. The technology is not limiting that. No, and, and what I'm getting at is, is yeah. that that's, that's a record. I, mean, I, I think I think about that because of the 50th anniversary, but sure. that's a... A record or a, a collection of work that is um, going to be timeless and go down mm-hmm. in history is an amazing um, album, um, arguably, I guess. But mm-hmm. but it definitely has made its cultural impact. And we have technology in a laptop now that is, you know, can do can do more versatile things than they could could do with the studio they had right yeah and you talk so microphones much. maybe are well better, yeah but, but you you know you talk about half that whenever you hear a lecture about that or read a book about that album the big thing you hear about is how they overcame the techno- technological limitations right if they were to sit there and say well we can't do that one day when this technology comes around we can do these things but if we only had access to better right. mics right yeah well i think even the early beatles they often would fight to get the tape machines. I know even the Beach Boys on Pet Sounds, yeah. they had to fight to get the tape machines that they often use, you know, for the jazz and classical recordings. Uh, they they had to fight with the studios to allow them to use it for quote-unquote pop music. Right, you know? right. Um, but they needed the additional track count. They mm-hmm. needed uh, the flexibility of that. grateful for the fact that I can do it day to day in my in my life even though I have a uh, you know sort of a day job it's it's as closely related to um, my creative life is is almost anyone can, I mean I teach I teach product you know kind of production and sound design <laughs> at a universe mm-hmm. so um, I'm grateful that I get to be creative in one way or another every day um, and then, you know, looking back, I think I'm I'm just really grateful and fortunate to have um, excellent educators and peers um, and collaborators. I have gained so much, uh, you know, perspective and and knowledge from the people that taught me and that were my mentors, but also my my peers and the people that I continue to work with and and connect with. Uh, creatively and uh, that's really what's ins- inspiring me um, 
and uh, in my creative process to grow. Um, I, I'm sort of living in this uh, silver spoon, you know, <laughs> world where uh, I've I've had you know for the last eight or nine years um, uh, a network of composers like two doors down from me that that aren't competitive with me in a negative way. Um, we are positive and we share ideas with each other and we help each other grow and uh, I don't think a lot of people have that in their lives so I'm, I'm really fortunate to have that and, and help me build more confidence as a, as a composer that way people that are, that are really championing you and your work um, on a daily basis so I'm really fortunate Thanks to Jordan Munson for sharing his music and his process with us. For more information about Jordan and to hear his music, visit jordanmunson.com or check out this week's entry on the noise buffalo at blogspot.com. <laughs>